Great to be here, guys. Great to see you all, despite the crazy weather outside. Great to see you online. Big shout out to my mum, who's no doubt watching. Um, I'm going to do the Bible reading today, but if you are here online at or at home, um, here in the building you've got a paper and pen with you that you're going to need in the middle of the service, which is great. If you've not got a paper and pen handy at home, pop and get one now while I do the Bible reading, but also listen to the Bible reading at the same time. Okay, great. We are reading from John 15 today, and it's chapter 15, verses 1 to 10. The vine and the branches. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the words I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. So today, as Andy said, we're going to be going through this passage in John 15 and also through the book that we've been looking at together, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship by Peter Scazzaro. In the chapter we're looking at today, we're looking at this idea of being before doing. So we're learning to be a follower of Jesus as someone who roots themselves in Jesus before doing. Let me just pray for a minute before we begin. Father, I come before you this evening and I just pray that you will just speak through me today and that you will speak to all of us today, Father, that we'll be able to hear the call on each of our lives and what you want to say to each one of us in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. So have you ever been in one of those situations where you need to learn to do something, but you just want to get on and do it? You're super keen to do, rather than learn or wait or kind of understand better the task at hand. A few years ago, I took on a crazy plan to learn to sail the Atlantic as part of a huge round-the-world yacht race. I'd never sailed before and I was learning from scratch, and I was super keen. I think the best way I can describe myself is that I was Donkey from Shrek keen. We all remember Donkey and Shrek, everything that Shrek wanted someone to do. Donkey would be like, pick me, pick me, pick me, and Shrek would keep asking, and Donkey would keep saying, keep saying pick me, and Shrek would keep going. And the answer would come across, no, all the time. This is how it was for me and Skipper. Every time Skipper wanted a job, I would be like, pick me, I can do it, Skipper, I can do it. And the short and sturdy answer would be, no, Ali, no. Anyone else? Anyone else? No. 
This became the mantra of all my teammates as they waited daily for the Donkey and Shrek show to roll out. I wanted to do it all from the start. I offered to climb the 100-foot mast and check the rigging, as if I could check the rigging of a 70-foot ocean racing yacht. I offered to fix the engine, as if I was a mechanic. I even offered to dive down under the boat and clean the base of the hull. Skipper actually said to me, that's great, Ali, have you got diving kit and do you know what you're doing? I, no. To which the answer was then, no. Ali, you can't do that. I was super keen. But funnily enough, Skipper was determined for me to know the boat and the basics of sailing before I did anything else. In the passage today, we see Jesus telling us metaphorically that he is the vine and that we are to remain in him before anything else. In verse 4, it says, Remain in me as I also remain in you. And again in verse 5, If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. The passage actually mentions the word remain 11 times. Remain, 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 remain. This has obviously been a tricky sermon for me to write, as you can tell. Remain, 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 remain. Now, either Jesus has run out of words here, or he's trying to make a point. So let's go back a little bit in the book, and what have we learned from the writer John so far up to this point in the book? What is John doing in the way the book has been put together? So John is setting out for us in this book a story of who Jesus is, rather than in the first three Gospels, which lie more in what Jesus did and what Jesus said. Matthew, Mark, and Luke rarely tackle questions about Jesus' inner motivation. It's in John that we get a portrait of Jesus' inner life and self-identity. In the book so far, we have had six previous I am statements. This is now the seventh I am statement, I am the true vine. So this final statement is drawing us to this mighty conclusion like a final act of a play. In ancient Jewish literature, the number seven is the number of completeness. So the existence of these seven sayings is indicating the completeness that life in Jesus brings. So far, we have had, I am the bread of life, light of the world, gate, shepherd, resurrection, way, and now the vine. It's at this point in the story that we join today. John's writings are bringing us to this climax of who Jesus is. And the final I am statement is actually a stopping. There's a call to action to still ourselves before the Lord and understand that he is the vine. This finale and the list of the I am statements from Jesus lets us know that who he is comes with a call to action to remain in him. So what does it mean to remain in him. Let's go back just a little bit to the sailing theme. I want you all to grab your pen and paper from your chairs or at home. If you've got your pen and paper ready, that's great. And I want you to draw me a sailboat or a yacht. Whatever you think a sailing boat or a yacht should look like, just a simple line drawing, nothing fancy. You've got about 10, 20 seconds to get your idea of what a boat would look like. So it's a sailing boat or a yacht, and then we're going to come together and see what we've got. At home, I hope you're cracking on with this, Mum, Maria, whoever's listening. 
And um, I'm going to draw you back in in two minutes. Well, not even two minutes, 10 seconds. Okay, so what have we got? I'll show you mine. This is my masterpiece here. Was once a designer, employed as a designer for a living. <laughs> Fact. We can see why I've changed careers, or maybe not, depending how the talk goes. Anyway, um, what have we got out there? Have we all, can we all concur that we've probably all got the base of a boat, the hull of a boat? Yeah. Great. I'm doing well, guys. And maybe, maybe we've all got a mast, or as my friend Ems likes to call them, those sticky things. Yeah, sticky things, great. And maybe some sails. Great. And what about maybe the most important part of the boat? Have we all... Is there anyone that's actually got the keel? Anyone with a keel? Oh, I've got, I've got a hand here in the front. This is great. So we've got three keels in the house. This is fantastic. So this unglamorous part of the boat that is deep, deep down in the water is the keel. The keel is the part that... If it didn't exist, the whole yacht would capsize and be of no use to anyone. It's the part that keeps the boat stable, upright, able to have a mast. It's the part that enables it to have sails in order to make headway in a race. So if we imagine now that this keel resembles our relationship with Jesus, and if we consider what it means to remain in him, my actual question for you today is this. How deep is your relationship with Jesus? Or perhaps, I can put it this way, how deep is your keel? So the yacht that I sailed on was permanently heeled over at 45 degrees. Life on board was really uncomfortable, quite dangerous and often a bit treacherous, if I'm honest. Um, to get up onto deck, we had to climb out from the hatch and actually clip on to the deck before we left the hatch so that we weren't washed overboard by mistake. Below deck, we had a climbing rope that went from one side of the boat to the other at 45 degrees. It had knots in it so that we could climb up that from one side of the boat to the other. It was really quite tricky. Inside the boat, I had to kind of be really careful which side of the boat I was on if I needed to be sick. And if I needed to use the loo, I had to be really careful which of the loos I used for obvious reasons. It was a scary place to be. And remarkably, all of this was because when they designed the boat, they didn't design the keel to be big enough or go down deep enough for the boat to be stable. It was unstable, it had a huge 100-foot mast, and the keel didn't balance with the boat. Life on deck was dangerous, unstable, and often treacherous. How deep is your keel? Let's look a bit more at this statement in verse 1, where Jesus says, I am the true vine. This would have been a familiar symbol for the Jewish people. Israel was known by the people as God's vine. So the message Jesus is teaching here was to be rooted in him, not in Israel itself. Likewise, if we want to bear fruit, we must be rooted in Jesus and not anything else. The vine and the branch imagery emphasize complete dependence and the need for constant connection. I am often so keen to do for God, to go for God, that I often forget to be with God first, 
to spend time building that relationship that empowers everything else that we do. When I was in my donkey from Shrek pick-me phase, I was ready to sail that yacht before I knew anything about that boat, to learn what anything was or get time to even know how it all worked. I was just ready to jump into action. I didn't even know the boat had a keel at this stage. Can you imagine if I had dived down to clean it? What a shock it would have been. Yet I felt sure I was ready to sail the Atlantic. In chapter three of the book we've been studying, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, the author talks about how us as followers, there's too many of us as followers of Jesus being chronically overextended and doing more for Jesus than our inner life with Jesus can sustain. He says this, the notion of a slowed down spirituality or a slowed down discipleship in which they're doing for Jesus flows out of their being with Jesus is a foreign concept. So this keel this integral part of the boat. If we imagine this is our relationship with Jesus, what's the most fascinating thing for me about the keel? It's this. You just don't see it. It's below the waters. Yet, without it, the sailboat is lost. How deep is your keel? We then read in the passage that this remaining in Jesus, this being with God, is also the thing that only keeps us stable and upright and ready to sail as such, but it also means that we can bear fruit. In verse 4, remain in me as I also remain in you, neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Jesus is emphasizing a mutual relationship here. It isn't only the disciple remaining or abiding in the master. The master also abides with the disciple. Something of this close relationship is described in the book Song of Songs, chapter 6, verse 3, where it says, I am my beloved, and my beloved is mine. It's impossible for the branch to bear fruit if it isn't connected to the vine. We can't do true good for God and his kingdom if we do not consciously connect and abide in Jesus. Eugene Peterson, the writer of the Message Bible, puts it like this. He says, we need to be lashed to the mast of God's word. It's from this place that we bear fruit. At the time when I was trying to make the decision to take on this crazy sailing trip, I was without a doubt lashed to this mast of God's word, holding onto my Bible. I couldn't get enough of it. I was reading it. I was more in the word of God than I was out of it. I couldn't get enough. It's perhaps not like that at the moment for me. It's sometimes a struggle and something that I really need to address. This is probably a talk as much for me as perhaps it is for any of us. Or perhaps you're here today and you're not even a Christian and you're thinking, what on earth is that woman on the stage banging on about boats for? But <laughs> if you're not a Christian today, this is a great chance to pick up this word of God and start that adventure, finding out who God is. 
I had been praying at the time and trying to discern whether to do this sailing trip for a long time. I had initially felt God point out a quote to me in a book about sailing, and that quote had really stuck with me. And from that moment on, I had yacht and sailing images coming at me thick and fast. They were everywhere I looked. I went in a restaurant, I would be surrounded by boats. People would pray for me in a service and they'd say, I've just got a picture of a boat for you, but I just don't know why. And I would say, great, great, yeah, it's all right, it's the fifth one today. And on it went like this. I would walk around the town and someone would come and talk to me and he'd have like a cap on with a yacht on. All my Bible readings were about boats. It was just like, what is it? I'm hounded by this. And in the end, I threw my hands up in the air and said, all right, Lord, what is it? What do you want me to do? Not a question I recommend you ask often. A few days after all of this mayhem, and I kindly got to the end of my tether with it, I took a wrong turn on a train station platform and came face to face with a poster for this round-the-world yacht race. No, I said, Lord, it's a straight no from me. I'm not up for that, thanks very much. Right up until when I clicked on the website, and the first thing that I read was the same quote that I'd read in the beginning, a few months before, when all the sailing paraphernalia had begun. It was a quote by a guy called Mark Twain, and it went like this. 20 years from now, you will be more disappointed by the things you didn't do than by the ones that you did. So throw off the bow lines, sail away from the safe harbor, catch the trade winds in your sails, explore, dream, discover. Remain in him. Build your boat with a deep keel. Be ready. Then ask God what sort of journey he wants to take you on. What fruit does he want to produce in your life? He has an adventure for all of us, one that involves stepping out into the deep, pushing off from the safety of the harbor and digging deep into the water, ready to allow him to take us where he would have us go. Maybe he'll ask you to leave this church and plant a new church. Maybe they'll never ask me to preach again after that comment. Maybe he will ask you to bring and begin a new adventure that you can't even consider at the moment. But first for sure, he will simply say, come be with me. Remain in me as I remain in you, learn about me, spend time with me, get to know me. And then when our keel is deep and our mast is high, we can raise those sails to catch the wind. Often, I think, we ask for God's power and the wind in our sails without first digging deep into the water. I always think boatyards are sad places. Yachts often standing on ladders and with props to hold them up. It feels so sad, the boat in a boatyard goes nowhere. Are you in the harbor on dry ground, in a comfortable Christianity? I am, sometimes. I often look around and find I've sailed right back into the harbor, dragged my boat up onto dry ground, and gone to sleep. Being comfortable and safe in the harbor is not what we're called to. Drinking good coffee and feeling safe on dry ground is not what we're called to. We are called 
to bear much fruit, to set sail, to catch the trade winds, to explore, dream, and discover with God. How deep is your keel? So how do we build this relationship then? How do we actually put time aside or make a way to remain? In the discipleship book that we've been following, it says these four things. It says make a radical decision, feel your feelings, practice silence, and commune with Jesus throughout the day. In summary, the author is talking about making a radical choice to spend time and find space to be with Jesus, to begin to understand yourself and your own feelings, to be aware of them, to create time for silence and connecting with Jesus throughout the day. Brennan Manning, in his book, Abba's Child, comments on silence in this way. I know silence can be a difficult task for all of us. He says this about silence in particular. Silent solitude makes true speech possible and personal. If I am not in touch with my own belovedness, I cannot touch the sacredness of others. Experience has taught me that I connect best with others when I connect with the core of myself. When I allow God to liberate me from unhealthy dependence on people, I listen more attentively, I love more unselfishly. Wouldn't we all want the fruit of our being from remaining in him to be someone who could say, I listen more attentively, I love more unselfishly. You know, you cannot give what you do not have. You can't rescue somebody if you yourself are not stable. Manning goes on to say about remaining, he calls it wasting time with God. He says this, conscientiously wasting time with God enables me to speak and act from a greater strength, to forgive rather than nurse the latest bruises to my wounded ego. It empowers me to lose myself against a greater background than all the fears and insecurities, to merely be still and know that God is God. You may connect with God when you're out running, when you're sitting in silence, when you're painting or walking the dog or cycling. Whatever you do to connect and rest with him, do it often. That you may go out there or in here and reach those that need the love of Jesus, that need to see it shining out through you. So I want you to take this picture with you, put it in your Bible, put it on your fridge, somewhere at home where you can see it and you can be reminded that this relationship with Jesus, this is the thing that will keep you afloat. This is the thing that will enable you to go on the adventure that he has called each of us to. Perhaps write the words, how deep is your keel, on it. When I was on that boat, I really had to cling on to Jesus. It was possibly one of the most difficult things I've ever done because it involved all my mental, all my physical, and all my spiritual strength in one go. And I often wondered why I was there. I sort of waited and hoped that God would show me. On the first day that I began training, I met a guy called Jack. He was keen to know that I was a Christian. He himself believed in God. He was a Catholic and had been a Catholic as a child, but 
wasn't a practicing Christian as such. We became great friends, and he began to confide in me. It turned out that he was separated from his wife and kids, and he was living in a kind of dismal studio flat alone, and life was really quite grim for him. He was quite broken, and he himself just felt that all hope for him was lost. I said I would pray for him, and so for nearly a year after meeting him, I prayed for his family and for him daily. About two years later, I went to see him in Oxford. His life had changed beyond belief. He was living back with the family, back with the wife in the home, the relationship completely restored. I walked in the garden with him, and I stood amazed at what God had done, seeing the life and the joy in Jack just bubbling over. Jack said to me excitedly, this was your prayers, wasn't it? No, I said, this was God's kindness in allowing me to join him in his plan. It might only be one person that he calls you to. It might be thousands. Who knows what adventure he has in mind for you. But before you set sail to find out, ask yourself the question, how deep is your keel? Amen. We're going to um, have communion together in a moment, but let's just take a moment to respond. I'm going to pray and ask God to um, be with us, and perhaps if there's something in this where you want to respond to what God is doing in your life, to a commitment to deepen that connection with God, to begin to know him more, to begin to spend more time with him. Maybe in this time as I pray, you can just say in your heart and commit in your heart that commitment to deepening your relationship with Jesus today. Let me pray. Father, I thank you that you want relationship with us, that you've called us into relationship, and that this is the fundamental thing that we need to focus on. Above and beyond everything else, Lord, you call us to remain in you. So, Lord, I pray for those of us today that want to go deeper with you, that we can commit our hearts today to this call from you to deepen and strengthen our relationship with you, that we may use this as the base of who we are in order to serve those that you may call us to in the future, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.